As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show today. All square at Old Trafford between Man United and Spurs. Elsewhere, Man City are box office and have an Oscar from the Academy. Friday night, there was Luton and Burnley and maybe a robbery too. We'll be talking about all those stories, plus Die Young, the man who bled Reading like the Red Wedding, and Jadon Sancho's back, and maybe FFP penalties are too. It's all in the Totally Football Show. Sunday the 14th of January. Listener, hello and welcome to the show. It's, as I say, Sunday. It's late. We've just had Man United Spurs. We've got Colin Miller and Tim Spears here in the studio. Hello to you both. Hi, James. Good. <laughs> Still alive. <laughs> nice. And also joining us, having just trekked his way back from the game of the weekend, Everton Aston Villa, Daniel Story. All right, Daniel. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to leave that game. Yes. Yeah. That was one of just five matches, as you know, listener, across this Premier League weekend. Just half a round being played this time, the other half coming up next weekend. Friday night, Burnley Luton ended 1-1 amid many grumbles from the home supporters at Turf Moor. Saturday, the worst run against a single opponent in English football history continued as Fulham lost again to Chelsea. Haven't won at Stamford Bridge since 1979, Hmm. Chelsea, meanwhile, with their fourth win in five. Tea time on Saturday. Man City had that remarkable 3-2 game against Newcastle. Then on Sunday, Daniels match. Everton, Aston Villa, no goals whatsoever. And four goals shared between the two teams at Old Trafford as Man United met Tottenham. It is, listener, with Spurs and the point earned away to Man United that we begin. Here's a bit of commentary. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Werner and Bentancur! 50 seconds into the second half has rifled Tottenham level. Well, that sets the tone there, doesn't it? 2-2. Colin, you were saying as the kind of second half wound its way towards a finale... And the stadium got progressively quieter and quieter. That actually not too much happened in that game. Yeah, it was a really uh, strange two-two. I think I think the atmosphere 
certainly in the second half, seemed to be quite notably flat. And maybe that's a little bit odd in the sense that United's sort of last big Premier League home game was that rising comeback against Aston Villa on Boxing Day. But it didn't really seem like that was ever on the cards in this one. Tottenham were the better team. Uh, they had 63% of possession. They had six shots on target. United only had the two, from which they were both very good finishes, from which they scored. But yeah, this is a tale of two teams who've been missing quite a significant number of players each through injury, but Tottenham and Ange Postacoglu seem to have dealt with it much better than, than United and Eric Ten Hag have, and I think you could just see that throughout this game, that they were a team who played with a much better identity and a much better shape that they, if, if there was one team that was going to win it, it seemed that they would be the one to do it, albeit Scott well, McTominay. Although, had yeah, although Scott McTominay, yeah. Suppose you had Romero and Van der Ven both back, and Timo Werner make his debut. Radu Dragajin coming on late on as well. Tim, how did you feel about Spurs uh, performing still without Son and, and Kulosevsky and, and Madison, of course? Yeah, I, I mean, we expected a lot of the game. You know, you rarely get a dull game when Spurs are involved, and you rarely get a game where there isn't something going on in terms of Man United and their narratives. Uh, and I guess it kind of went to plan, really. It was a decent watch, it was an entertaining game. There were quite a few goals couple of attempts off the bar, nearly known goal, and then United nearly won it through a moment, which I guess was the only way they were they were going to. Um, from a Spurs point of view, I thought, yeah, considering they looked much further ahead than Man United in their sort of evolution. Well, their manager's been there um, so much longer, of course. <laughs> um, and as you mentioned, you know, that's despite so many, I mean, almost half the team still missing, mm. despite the fact that Romero and Van der Ven were back for this one, and Van der Ven makes such a difference he was a little bit rusty on occasion and he went off with cramp but he still saved Spurs from a, a couple of certain very good chances that would fall in United's way uh, with his pace and his reading of the game um, you know he covers for a doggy and Romero around him he makes such a difference to that team so he's back that's great for Spurs but they're still missing yeah Madison Bissouma Saar Son now as well mm. and Kulisevsky missed this right. one and that that was where they fell down was in the final third where a lot of their potential opportunities um, fell at the feet of Brennan Johnson who's I don't want to dig him out but he is he is pretty much front and centre of Spurs attack he's the one that's that's charged with creating these chances and that that final pass that smart decision just isn't quite there yet. I don't think Spurs were expecting it to be there at this point. You know, he's still only 22. I think he was expected to be mostly a bench player this season. But he started somewhere between 12 and 15 games in a row now. And we're just not quite seeing that improvement from him yet. He's not quite taken it up a step. And I, I do have sympathy for him. He's, he's, as Daniel will be well aware, he's used to playing in a counter-attacking team. And now he's very much front foot, lots of the ball, got more time in the final third to think about those decisions. It's just not quite there yet. And that's mostly where Spurs fell down. Meantime, one player who has really come to life under Angie's Richarlison is now on six goals in six Premier League matches. What's behind that that change? I mean, he had he had a couple of months away. People will remember in September, uh, he was seen crying on the subs bench away with Brazil and international duty after he'd missed a guilt-taste opportunity. And he, he'd had a few weeks of that, of missing chances for Spurs and Brazil. He'd been carrying an injury for, for quite some time and they decided to uh, take action on that. And he had surgery on a groin issue. But I think a bit of a break's done him good mentally, just as much as physically. And you can imagine Ange Postacoglu is the type of manager to really take the pressure off and be like, you know, come on, mate, don't worry about that. Let's just get back to doing what you enjoy doing. And I think we may see something similar with Timo Werner. There were some, pro some promising signs there. Again, it's, very, it's a very initial look at him. But 
yeah, Richarlison sort of looking like his old self now. And that's great news for Spurs because they were having to play Son down the middle, which is, isn't his preferred position, albeit he was doing quite well there. And yeah, he took advantage of Man United's astonishingly bad defending at, at corners. You know, they conceded that that goal. Uh, Romero hit the bar with a free header from three yards, which Anana just watched. Um, and they had a, another another couple of wobbles as well. United is so bad at defending from corners. So yeah, Richarlison certainly looking back to his old self and that'll be a key thing for Spurs in the second half of the season because okay. they haven't got many goal scorers in their squad. He got the first equaliser after Hoyland had scored seconds after the game had begun. And the second game, as you mentioned, from Bentancur, set up by newly arrived Timo Werner. Colin? Yeah, uh, the United's set pieces have been attacking as well as defensive. They're just not, not a threat from them at all this season. But this game last year was uh, when United beat Tottenham 2-0 and that game really should have been a lot a lot more of a clear-cut scoreline than just the two goals. And I think that was one of the games I think Tottenham fans were thinking this is Hunter Antonio Conte was a real, real low. And you see it this season and again it, uh, we've spoken so much about how the, the kind of the mood around the club changed the style of play is completely different but yeah it was just such a I mean had Tottenham have won this they would have leapfrogged Arsenal in the fourth albeit having played a game more but right. just with all these players who they've still got to come back obviously they've signed Timo Werner they've signed Radu Dragosin from Genoa that they've now got it feels like they've now got a squad that, and without European football as well, that they can potentially go on a on a very strong run the second half. Of the right, season. the fact they don't have any European football to, to, to worry about, excellent. May well be what United are aiming for for ne- next season. Who knows? So Jim Ratcliffe uh, repeatedly shown there in the in the stands. What would be point one on his to do list? Do you think that he would have compiled briefly? Because you say we're always doing Man United. <laughs> Was there anything from that game you think? Well. Um, I, I mean, I do think there's a lot. There's a lot of individual promise. I think you, you see Manu and Garnaccio, who mm. are two very young players, who who I think, if not already, are, are very clearly on their way to the top if they say injury free and and keep the same sort of mentality. But I think Rasmus Hoyland as well. The, I think Roy Keane was saying before the game that you know you can only you can only give players so many opportunities. But I think that's maybe a bit harsh in the sense that this is a guy who came in. He's what twenty years old. You know, I spent a lot of money on him, but. They don't have anybody else in that position because Anthony Martial is essentially not there this season, as is, as has so often been the case. And I think United really missed a trick last summer, not just bringing in a, a backup striker, even in the sense that last year this sort of much derided Weighorst came in. And whilst you know it doesn't need to be a player you spend a lot of money on, it just mm. needs to be a player who you can trust to sort of be part of the game and, and right. to sort of settle in quickly. And they haven't done that this season, so there's been a lot of pressure in Rasmus Hoyland. But I think. You see today, his attitude's really good. He does have a lot of ability. And I think he makes the players around him tick a lot better. And I think that balance with Rashford on the left and Garnaccio on the right does work um, okay. from an attacking point of view. Would you, You'd you like to see a Veghorst, a Fellaini-style January sign, just to mix things up? I honestly I honestly think that would, it would be a good idea. Yeah. In the sense that United are very hamstrung by, by FFP at the minute. A lot of clubs are. But I, I think they could do a lot worse than just bringing in a short-term solution until the end of the season. All right. 2-2 two, two then. Charlie Eccleshare pointing out this is the third big away game for Spurs this season. The others being the Emirates and the Etihad, in which they have twice been behind but still managed to earn a draw. So very impressive characters, is Charlie. Uh, excellent. There you go. They are now level, Spurs, with Arsenal, though behind on goal difference and the fact that Arsenal have a game in hand on them. As for Man United, they are lying seventh, eight points off the top four. Mm. All right, Daniel. Next up, we'll be talking about a game that I'm sure you were all over Game of the round. 
one of the games of the season, particularly for quality of goals, and that is Newcastle 2, Manchester City 3. For most of us, January means New Year's resolutions, but for the footballing world, January means one thing, transfers. There's a lot going on, and to stay on top of every move that matters, you need the Athletic Football Podcast. They were prioritising somebody like Mason Mount. Five days a week, we'll help you cut through the noise with the most reliable reporters in the industry. David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, Laurie Whitwell, and many more will not only tell you what the deal is, but how it happened too. So make sure you don't miss a single transfer beat in January with the Athletic Football Podcast. Listen for free wherever you get your shows, and hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. That's a great ball, is De Bruyne looking to shoot? Oh, he scored! Such an elegant finish from such a good player. He simply passed the ball into the back of the Newcastle net. Toys away, everyone. Daddy's home. Daniel, Kevin De Bruyne's back. <laughs> Yeah, it really did feel like that. I don't know if it's because of De Bruyne's slightly muted personality or sort of lack of superstardom, but um, he's the best player in the Premier League and he's he's started one game in all competitions this season away at Burnley. And you know, I know Manchester City haven't been perfect and they haven't certainly haven't been smooth over the last couple of months, but we I think everyone kind of slept on just how much of an impact he would cause. I didn't expect it to be this quickly off the bench mm. and in quite so emphatic away but you just look at the way every other Manchester City player makes runs that they know that pass is coming the goal was just it's just outrageous I don't think there's anyone else who can like he didn't hit it hard and he hit it for miles out and yet at no point was the keeper saving it and no point should the keeper have saved it it's kind of hard to work out but hmm. just that pure technique of the pass and the shot and it's one of the very few times we've seen Guardiola sort of step into Mourinho celebration territory that that late winner. Obviously, it was an important goal of itself, but just that kind of statement of having De Bruyne back playing those passes. And yeah, I, I think having seen that last 25 minutes, I think it's, you know, I don't think it's inevitable that City now romp to the title. But if De Bruyne stays fit between now and May, I don't see how anyone can stop him doing what he's been doing for half a decade. Mm. Although a lot of teams beating Newcastle of late. De Bruyne coming off the bench with 20 minutes to go. City at that point were 2-1 down. A goal and an assist later and it was three points for the champions. I wish to talk about the goals because I suggest it's goal game of the season rather in terms of just sheer quality. Uh, five of them... I'll play the which was your favourite game. Tim, which was your favourite? Uh, earlier today, it was Bernardo Silva's. Okay. Um, just Well, it's, it's a very good-looking goal. It's lovely. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Isn't it? Mm. It's not quite Canu versus Middlesbrough, but it's in, you know, it's that's the best of its genre, I would say. Would you say? Because uh, I've seen people say that this was the best of its think genre. So? It's a lovely genre, and this was a particularly outstanding example. Colin? Brian Roy. Sorry. No, you're you going to say Daniel. Brian Roy? Brian Roy away at Spurs in 94-95, uh, 4-1 win for Forrest at Spurs, which was so good that uh, for Spurs fans behind the goal stood up and clapped. It was a beauty. Right. Colin? I, I really enjoyed the, the Oscar Bob winning Oh, goal. no, but we're talking yeah. about which was the best kind of oh. deft backheel flick. Oh, the deft, best deft. 
Yeah, the, the Camus sort of... Really? Think, d- that's d- the most d- memorable. It's one that stands out in my memory. D- distance, and, and no one expected him to do that. Now Dixon eventually on the overlap. Canu! Oh! So impudent, it's almost unbelievable! Just from right at the edge of the box. Okay. And then, yeah, a little instep. But there. this was pretty good, and at the oh, very earlier good. today you felt that, yeah, this yeah. was the best thing. Yes. But now... And then I, I've seen an interview with Kevin De Bruyne uh, in German... Okay. Uh, which had subtitles, thankfully. And he was kind of saying, uh, they asked him, did you, did you deliberately pass the ball through Fabian Scher's legs? And he's kind of explained it a bit. And he said, it's it's not a coincidence. It's well thought out. Scher is, is making himself look as big as possible because he's been isolated. He's the only defender. So he's trying to make himself bigger. So he says, so I know his legs will be further apart. Um, so I've tried to shoot the ball through his legs right. and then that makes it difficult for the goalkeeper to respond and I've focused on precision rather than power into the corner so it's that, nice to hear that explanation you, yeah. don't, you don't get that very often but what if Bernardo Silva told you about what led his but he hasn't he hasn't has he see now I agree with you I love that first one Colin what was your favourite of the, the five the, the, the winning goal just, so Oscar just, Bob yeah just yeah. The, the footwork was fantastic and to have that composure in the in the last minute of the game well that has the amazing assist from KDB mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. The wonderful one-two shuffle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. All right. Uh, Daniel? Uh, I mean, my favourite is De Bruyne one, but let's give Newcastle some love. Um, Isaac is my, is my favourite of the two, the way he opens up his body. He's so good at doing that. He's like, you know, if we saw on Sunday Marcus Rashford, they're kind of, you could blur out everything else and it would look like a Marcus Rashford finish. Exactly the same with Isaac And those ones he opens up and hits. He actually hits them high as well. He chooses to hit them high rather than low, which most players are taught to do. Gordon is, is an example of that later in the game. Yeah, I love that Isaac finish. Magnuson. Uh, Newcastle with two goals in just over two minutes actually as they responded to the wonderful Bernardo Silva opener and for all the run of bad results they've been having it was a very credible performance the way that they responded to going behind against City you know there there were positives there I think this is a matchup that that actually suited Newcastle quite well from an attacking point of view anyway and we saw this last season in that 3-3 draw at St James's Park whereby they are very direct and intense with their with their forward press and I, I do think if Man City Man City do have a weakness, don't they, defensively, when, when teams do that? Albeit City created plenty of chances themselves, but it did feel like the, the players like Anthony Gordon and players like Alexander Isak will cause that City defence problems, and they and they did. And you sort of felt whenever they got those two goals in three minutes and had the crowd behind them, and I think for Man City to, to come back from that, it does feel like a moment, doesn't it? Even even despite the, the form Newcastle have been in, and it's with De Bruyne coming back into the team. And it was after um, after the Huddersfield game in the FA Cup, and when De Bruyne came back, and Guardiola said, "You know, it's players like De Bruyne that win games. We can we can be playing well, but we won't necessarily win. But if you have somebody like that or like Haaland coming on, right." They, they're just decisive. And that's exactly what happened here. Just somebody who... And you saw not just with the De Bruyne goal, but with the, with the ball goal as well, where he, where he set it up. Just how much time he found and created in that central area of the pitch. I mean, there's very few players can do that. And, OK, you can maybe say Newcastle were tiring at that stage. And, you know, so they maybe dropped off slightly. But mm. to give him that room and for him to find that time and space, you know that he's going to hurt you. And that... I mean, De Bruyne is the best player in the Premier League. And he has been for quite a while. He's played... 44 minutes in the Premier League this season and now has one assist, obviously. That's more than Anthony. And it's the same as Luis Diaz, Diogo Jota, Willian, Gabriel Jesus, Cody Gakpo, Leandro Trossard and Saeed Benrahma. Oof. 
So they got him back and they're capable of scoring three of the finest goals we've seen this season. And that's without even the world's deadliest striker in their ranks. So it does look a bit of a concern. They do have a slight issue about Edison, who picked up an injury on an early Newcastle attack. I was just going to mention as well about, about Oscar Bob. The, okay, the, the, Oscar the, Bob, yeah. He's obviously sort of come onto the scene. And, mm. and and we think that whenever City sold Riyad Mahrez last summer, and they were sort of quite willing to do that. And even Cole Palmer, who's he's been fantastic for Chelsea, of course. But Man City still have Bernardo Silva in that position. And Phil Foden can play in that sort of position out on the right side of attack. And for then for Bob to be coming through, that's another player. So I think his emergence really kind of underlines why they were so open to those seals last summer, which maybe surprised a few people at the time, that they do have that depth there, even if it's not apparent. The players they have coming through are of a very, very high technical level, and he's just another that's, that's come in and looks at right at home. I received a bit of stick from a listener to this show. Earlier this season, we were talking about Man City's lack of squad depth, and there were some weird names on the bench, and right. I, I said Oscar Barb, who Oscar no one had Bob. really heard of at the time, mm. sounded like a silent movie star from the 40s. Mm. Um, but ironically, he did sort of dance like Charlie Chaplin with his little shimmy, shimmy tap dance uh, for the winning goal. So mm. I feel like, you know, we should pay, we should pay there tribute. There you go. To. Dave Tickner on Football 365 says that Oscar Bob has now entered the pantheon of players can only be referred to by their full name. Although I noticed, Colin, that you just called him Bob. <laughs> it's very much of a Joe Hart. Always, yeah. Everybody always calls him Joe Hart. Joe Hart, Javi yeah. Alonso, John mm. Joe Shelby, the other mm-hmm. uh, examples from Dave Tickner. Oh, and he says, get Harvey Barnes to shuffle up a bit and make some room. There you go. Daniel's story. I was just going to say about, about Newcastle. I, I saw a number of Newcastle fans, it's not the first time I've seen it, talking about Eddie Howe's kind of game management. They they did sit really deep in that last 20 minutes. And it wasn't until uh, really late on that Howe even made his first substitution. I think it was uh, what, 86 minute they made a change when... City had already scored one and were, were kind of swamping Newcastle. And it has become a bit of a pattern for how I look, kind of look back at other games and they, they squandered a lead at Wolves and he waited until the 72nd minute to make a change and Wolves had scored by that point. He waited till the 89th minute against Everton when Newcastle lost 3-0 and Everton had scored twice just before he actually made that sub. And then against Liverpool, he kind of made an attacking change when Newcastle scored to make it one all and didn't make another one until they conceded. And... I think there are some questions there. I know the bench is really thin. They had like five defenders, two goalkeepers and a couple of kids. But that was crying out for players to kind of kill the game. Like Matt Ritchie was there, Dummett was there. These are kind of bodies and energy and effort more than quality. But they kept that front three on and they barely saw the ball in the last half an hour. They didn't have a counter-attacking threat. And I just yeah, there are a couple of questions about that. I know Newcastle fans will kind of be looking out for it now. It's also the first time since Eddie Howe took over they've lost two in a row at home. Um, he was kind of appointed, you know, that th- they lost two in a row and then he was appointed. That was ostensibly why eventually he was appointed as or the previous manager was sacked. And yeah, I just I don't know. Uh, he's been dealt a, a pretty difficult hand with injuries, but so are most managers at the moment. And I think there are just ways of. You know, he, he, said, he said after the game, "Look, if we'd have got a draw, it would have been fine. And look, we, we got it wrong, but we'll learn." And I think, yeah, he just kind of isn't learning over the last three or four times this has happened. Mm. Yeah, this one against Man City, but it's uh, what six defeats in seven now, which is a. A rough run. They've also conceded 18 goals in the last 20 minutes of matches this season, which has obviously been in, in the Premier League. There's been a lot of them, but obviously in their Champions League group as well, mm. the late goals against Milan, the late equaliser PSG, those 
not seeing out games has, has killed them this year and as Daniel says that's that's about reacting in matches and last season they just had such a strong defensive record I mean, it was pretty much the, the, the best defence in the Premier League whereas this year I mean obviously the, the XG figures at Liverpool were one thing but it does seem that they're certainly away from home more, more than at home but even in, against City it felt like City deserved maybe three goals in that match has created so much and just, just quickly to, to finalise this on, on Man City themselves this felt not big not just in terms of the result but looking at their nick, their sort of run of Premier League games that are coming up, they've got Burnley at home, they play Brentford home and away, they've got Everton at home, they've got Chelsea at home, they've got Bournemouth away and Manchester United at home before going to Liverpool on the 9th of March. So that's a lot of points that they could potentially pick up there. And we've already seen that they have gone on a slight winning run now. And they are the one team, aren't they, who you think... If you're going to put money on somebody to, to put together nine, ten wins in a row, it probably will be them, as they do most seasons from January onwards. So, well, yep. it's true, isn't it? Not been mentioned much, but they do often go on <laughs> big runs of results in the second half of season. We'll find out. For now, they are two points behind Liverpool as they head off for warm weather training in Abu Dhabi. You mentioned Chelsea in that run of games which awaits them on their return. Chelsea, who have been putting together a bit of a run themselves. Four wins in their last five, the latest of which coming Saturday lunchtime when they entertained their friends Fulham at Stamford Bridge. A 1-0 win, courtesy of a penalty just before half-time. Uh, scored by Cole Palmer. Chelsea been awarded the most penalties in the Premier League this season. Eight so far. Raheem Sterling and, winning lots of them. Yes, Daniel. And Fulham have conceded the most penalties. Ah. They, they've conceded 14 since the start of last season, which is... A fairly ridiculous number. Oh. Uh, I kind of looked at Fulham. They're a really frustrating team because they do lots of things really well. And then one of the things that seems to sort of undermine them is these kind of penalty box brain fades. They've also scored more own goals than anyone else this season. And it's like they, they, they're sort of 95% competent and then 5% clown show. And it's like it must be so frustrating for Marco Silva because that, that, that challenge for Mr. Diop is just is, is brainless. It, it, it deserves to lose you a game. And they aren't prolific enough, albeit in a weird two-game spell against Forest and West Ham. They don't create enough chances, generally, particularly away from home, to give away one of these every now and then. Six penalties this season they've given away, it's, and they've all been scored against them. Mm. There you go. Fulham down in 13th. Chelsea now find themselves ninth. How about that top half? Yeah, they're they're much much closer to Europe than a than I thought they were actually. They're only, How close, Tim? Well, one point off seventh. All um, right. It feels like feels like baby steps, really. Mm. Uh, it, it felt like they'd kind of given up on this year. You know, like when an F an F one team sort of stops putting any money on its current car and just starts building towards the next season. But it oh, feels yeah. like, but they've actually got something to play for this year. But yeah, it's <laughs> Liam Toomey wrote in the Athletic that the atmosphere at Stamford Bridge felt like it was one mistake from mutiny. Um, which shows you how sort of perilous it is, and I guess mm. like with Man United, any any victory just seems like you know keeping of the peace rather than building any sort of momentum. But yeah, they're they're they're, they're pretty close to Europe at the moment. Excellent. So uh, that's Chelsea, Fulham. Next up, we're due to talk about Everton, Aston Villa, Daniel. So steady yourself for that, and we'll get on to the big news that could be breaking on Monday, with big minus points being handed out to Premier League sides. So they say. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Daniel, you made potentially your last ever trip to Goodison. This Sunday for mm. Everton nil, Aston Villa nil. No goals. There was one disallowed from Alex Moreno in the first half after lengthy deliberations. And then there was that Dominic Calvert-Lewin moment when he was through on goal. And then, yeah, Emi Martinez basically, yeah. This is the most played fixture in English football history. And I mm. think we, we, that we probably need to have a bit of a meeting and get our heads together and kind of say well maybe it's just been too much for a while should we sort of leave it for a couple of years it was I've got a a mate Chris who supports Villa and he sort of said we're talking about the game afterwards and I sort of said you know how you say a game didn't really deserve a goal like this game didn't really deserve a corner it was it was really bad it was just like these are good quality players and there was a lot of industry and effort in midfield but just so many bad final balls and overhit passes and kind of groans from Goodison. It's a decent result for Everton. Villa will consider themselves annoyed not to have created more chances, but Everton did have the best chance of the game in in Calvert-Lewin going through on goal and and Emi Martinez had made a save kind of sort of 10 seconds later as well. They just didn't really create enough. I think Ollie Watkins got a yellow card for for using the arm on James Tarkovsky. And I think Tarkovsky sort of played him a little bit. It felt like Watkins was too interested in that personal battle than um, and kind of distracted from the job in hand. And yeah, for a, for a team that are whose games are almost kind of be like Tottenham's recently, where you think, well, we're guaranteed fun because Villa are playing. I guess it's credit to Dyche and Everton that Villa had very little fun. OK. The point leaves Everton one point ahead of Luton. And the bottom three, Luton, who on Friday evening drew their fixture 1-1 away at Burnley. A lot of talk about how important the first five seconds are in Luton games. But the uh, the last seconds were pretty important too. Carlton Morris popping up with his first goal in 14 league appearances in the 93rd minute to equalise for the Hatters, much to the chagrin of various uh, Claret's dignitaries, including J.J. Watt, who is, I read, a former NFL star and a minority investor in Burnley, who tweeted, to miss this, this being the supposed foul on Trafford uh, in the course of that goal, to miss this on the field and miss it on VAR is truly disgraceful. Was it a foul? Was it truly disgraceful to allow the goal? It, 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 seemed, it seems like a... I, I was certain it was going to be disallowed. I was certain it wasn't. Well, same, yeah. Well, I, th- I think that yeah. the Luton players thought it was going to be disallowed, which told which told the story for me. I mean, they bet was, it was, was a that ni- not just VAR fatigue. That Maybe, was... but it, a ninety second minute equaliser, you know, mm. a huge goal for them. You mm. expect a, li- a little bit more. I, 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 it felt like they knew 
to me. Do you think it should have been disallowed? I mean, he he does move himself towards the keeper, mm. and he well, sort the keeper of, he moves sort of, himself towards. But him. he sort of looks at him as as he's turning around and but and barges into him, and he definitely impedes the keeper. Yeah. I'm just I'm surprised it wasn't given. You know, we know how much leeway is given to goalkeepers. Right. Um, it felt like it was it yeah. felt like a championship decision in a championship match to me. Saturday evening, then uh, match the day they broke down the the guidelines on this, which pretty specifically said that if two players are, are pretty much doing the same kind of motion, that the goal sh- that, that it shouldn't be a foul, and that was why I thought it was yeah. actually valid, Daniel. Yeah, same. I, I thought he. Yeah, there is a movement from from the Luton player, but Trafford's charging out, and I think Trafford realizes before the contact that he isn't going to get there and therefore he thinks if I if I make contact if we if we come together and I go down then I'm going to get the foul and I agree I was quite surprised it, it wasn't given because of that reason I don't think it should have been I don't yeah I don't I certainly don't think I mean I know again we're getting into kind of murky VAR chat about clear and obvious errors and is there enough to overturn but yeah I didn't think it was I mean it certainly wasn't a complete disgrace but then right. Everything's a complete disgrace was, now. So. Was the point a piece? Was that a fair result? Do you think, Colin? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, you talk about the decision. Of, I don't want to get dragged into VAR or anything like that. But Burnley just can see too many late goals. They do. This is this is another. It, and it feels like they're a soft touch to play against. Whereas Luton, it feels like they're in every game. It feels like mm. they're. I don't know if it's more perception than anything else, but it feels like they're not an easy side to play against. Whereas Burnley, they had that one 0 lead against West Ham, conceded twice later on. There was a late Villa winner again. There was a bit of bad luck in that. They conceded points against Bournemouth and Brighton quite late on. I think it might just be a question of players maybe just lack that bit of self-belief more than anything else and yeah I mean the, the, the goal could easily be disallowed but just, it's just the defending wasn't great to, to allow that situation to develop in the first place and yeah like Luton, Luton get another point they've, they've beat Liverpool uh, sorry not Liverpool they drew with Liverpool they beat Newcastle they only lost by one goal against Arsenal against City, City against yeah. United against Spurs they, they're, as I said they're, they're in every game and it feels like they've got a spirit about them that Burnley don't and that might put them in pretty good stead for the for, for the second half of the season you mentioned about belief and Burley or a, a lack of it when they when they came to Molyneux uh, to play Wolves recently they had a big poster on their dressing room wall which said believe mm. in big capital letters I think I think maybe they'd blown the lead to West Ham a few days earlier lost 2-1 mm. at home or one of these games um, yeah I, that's obviously the problem I mean they lost that game 1-0 and didn't look like they believed they could win right. so yeah that's clearly the issue even though they had a poster that said believe. <laughs> Even though they had a poster, it didn't work. I mean, they literally told them to believe before they went out there. <laughs> Sorry, Daniel. I was going to say, the, the, the really interesting thing about Burnley for me is that over the last six or seven games, it seems like company has pivoted to do what he said he would never do, which is compromise on possession. I mean, at the start of that last championship season, when they weren't doing as well, didn't start the season that quickly, he sort of said it'll always be possession. That's the way I've always been taught to play and manage. But you look at their last, you know, their first 14 games were regularly getting 55, 60% possession. Over the last six games, you look at it, 28, 32, 34, 36. They had 70% possession when they played Luton at home in the Championship and they only had 39% on Friday night. So that feels like a deliberate move. And I guess company feels like it's their only shot at staying up to do something different because it wasn't working. But it also makes him less secure, I suppose, mm. because if if you then change to sacrificing possession and everybody thinks well we might as well get the kind of firefighter manager in to do that yeah so particularly if it works better yeah exactly mm. all right well for the moment they are five points from safety however a big boost to their survival chances might come on monday with rumors flying this weekend of 
further FFP sanctions for some of their rivals. Wolves have been mentioned, although Tim's very much poo-pooing that story. Forrest and Everton, the likely candidates we're hearing on Sunday evening. Forrest, who are currently four points above uh, the bottom three. Everton, who, as I mentioned, only a point uh, better off. For FFP breaches, you'll recall that Everton have already been hit with a 10-point penalty. That was for the period 2019 to 2022. The latest round of penalties, if they come, will be for the year 22-23. But again, for failing to keep your spending within a certain parameter. Mm. Well, Tim, we're a little bit hostage fortune because many people will hear this maybe after the news is broken, but... What is it likely going to look like? Yeah, ex- expecting developments on um, Sunday night into Monday uh, with Everton and Forest being the two key sort of protagonists here. I mean, Everton displayed such indignation at their original ruling, this this 10-point penalty, that it, it, it would seem surprising if they're going to get done again to the same extent. Well, they're busy if it, appealing the first one anyway, no? Yeah, absolutely, hiring hotshot lawyers and certainly seems confident from within the camp that, that, that the points deduction can be maybe downplayed or overturned or whatever. Um, so to be done again will be a, an enormous blow mm. um, and feels unlikely. Daniel will know more from the Forest point of view, but it seems like those two are certainly in the firing line at the moment. I think I think one thing that we can say with, with confidence as well is that regardless of, of any definite outcomes at FFP is maybe not doing the job everyone wants it to do, but it certainly is having an impact. And there's a lot of managers have come out this month for Unai Emery with Aston Villa and even Enzo Maraska, the, the Leicester City manager in the Championship, saying that we can't sign anybody due to the regulations. It needs to be players out before players come in. And like even Newcastle fans saying, you know, why can we not spend even with the owners that we have? And it's like, well, you look at how much money they have actually spent in transfers in the past couple of well, 12 to 18 months, and there's not really been very many outgoings. So the fact that that is in place to be like, well, you just can't infinitely spend by justifying it through revenues. And, and, and even Arsenal, Tottenham, Man Manchester United, United saying they can only yep. have two loans this month. Yeah, and these, these are clubs who've, who've got incredibly good revenue streams, incredibly strong revenue streams, but, but there are there is at least some form of regulation. Maybe it's not enough, but, but it clearly is having some sort of an impact mm. across the board. I think the one thing we can be sure of if the, from the Forest point of view is that if... If they have uh, broken or are deemed to have broken the rules or are charged with breaking rules, that they will try and fight any punishment. Um, I don't think we need to get necessarily too wrapped up in the the ten points that we've had for Everton and assume that's going to be a kind of across the board thing. There were issues, or there were the the judgment with Everton was also around like maybe misleading, and uh, it was the the greater time period, not just the one year. So. <sighs> But it's going to get messy. It really is going to get messy. Um, and you know, the, one of the interesting Forest, for example, have one argument, which is that well, we could have sold Brennan Johnson before June the thirtieth for thirty odd million, and have, have definitely passed these rules, definitely not fallen foul of them. Are you telling us that it's more financial sense to sell a player for thirty-two million than it is for forty-seven million two weeks later, just because of a you know a line in the sand? That sounds ridiculous, they say, and you can kind of see the point there, although they knew the rules. The Premier League to that might say, well, you didn't have to buy 35 players last season. Um, Yeah, it's going to get messy. And I think whatever happens, we're going to see some fairly significant legal challenges from clubs. And and I think it's probably also fair to say that the clubs who who don't break it, but are very close, would also like to see a relaxation of those rules to an extent. 
the, the other thing that doesn't need said about FFP, and I know I just sort of praised it, but the fact that it encourages clubs to sell young players that it develops, I'm not I'm not sure that is a good impact on the sport. You look at like Chelsea, the clearest example of that, mm. right? It's like so many talented youngsters who they've developed and they've grown through and they're ready for the first team and fans are angry that they're being sold off and we've looked at the rooms even with Conor Gallagher who's been a very important player for Pochettino yet the club seem to be quite open to, to, to allowing him to go just purely so that they can make additional signings and and it doesn't seem to be that But it doesn't good force thing. them to, to Not, do it, that it's just their desire to replace their homegrown stars with Yeah but it does it does reward clubs for, for selling players who they who they have developed right. rather cause, because you can cash that in as pure profit rather than I players see, who, yeah. you, who you've actually spent money on so that I, I get it from an economic sort of regulatory point of view but in terms of the actual sporting benefit which is what this really should be about mm. I don't think that's a particularly good aspect of it at all it does effectively and i i I like football clubs to operate as sustainably as they can but it it does enforce a pretty emphatic glass ceiling for promoted clubs to the premier league it makes it very difficult unless you have a kind of master stroke owner which is basically just brentford and brighton over the last 10 15 years and that's about it and that's a very long-term plan that came from a, a point of sustainability and then overspending in the championship to have a plan in place for the Premier League. It's very, very hard for promoted clubs now to compete with clubs at the top without spending above those limits um, because the limits are lower for a championship club than they are for a Premier League club and your losses in the championship count towards the Premier League. If there was a kind of year dot when you get in the Premier League and it was three years rolling for that, I would get it. But the, it's very, very hard to come up and and, and compete without doing that. Mm. All right. Uh, suffering particularly with points penalties of late, you'd have to say a Reading. We might touch on events with the Royals, particularly after a dramatic weekend for them. Uh, among the many things we'll be touching on next, including Tim's trip to Darmstadt. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Dramatic scenes this weekend at the Select Car Leasing Stadium name at East League One game against Port Vale. Reading halted on 16 minutes. It had already been held up once earlier on when the traditional tennis balls were thrown on. But this time around, when around a thousand supporters made their way onto the field, the game was suspended. I think I've got those events in the right order. But basically, yeah, the fans forced the game to be suspended. Part of their ongoing protests about the absentee Reading owner, Die Young, 
whose mismanagement of the side or club has, has seen them docked a total of 16 points through various different judgments since uh, November 2021. Greg Double tweeting, just got to take a step back and realise this is Reading, not Millwall, Leeds, etc. We are a club that used to be sponsored by Waitrose that when we play Fulham, it was called El Middle Clasico. We are this angry because we are terrified of losing our club. And you can understand it. They're down in the relegation zone of, of League One. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to, to Reading on Tuesday uh, to, to meet some of the um, cell before we die, which is the Reading kind of campaign group. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's a it's a, a woeful situation. As often happens in these situations, their initial protests, which are absolutely valid, have only kind of hardened the owner's stance, which is completely unhelpful for everyone. And yeah, there is a real risk of Reading going into liquidation here. If if an owner refuses to sell and is would prefer to kill the club out of stubbornness than sell it, then protest is the only way. The one thing I'd like to say that, that I thought was really good is that the Port Vale fans who travelled a heck of a long way to go to Reading and could have been a bit annoyed that they hadn't seen a football their team play a football match they paid for were, it sounds like, almost... 100% supportive in terms of like chanting and congratulating Reading fans and sticking with them. English football fans are typically really, really bad at this sort of unity stuff. Way, way, way behind Germany on it and Scandinavia on it. But here, it seems like the kind of message has got through to everyone, which is great. Right. I think there was some kickback after it became clear that the game wasn't just going to be interrupted, but actually suspended at the uh, cries of we want our money back and that kind of thing. I was just going to say, uh, along those lines, I mean, great to hear uh, Reading's manager, Ruben Sellers, formerly of Southampton. You mm. know, you'd think, you know, he's, he's the most senior authority on this that's going to speak over this this weekend from Reading Football Club. And he basically he basically just said, you know, it's their club as in the fans it's their club for life you know obviously we want to play we want to play matches but we understand their frustrations and they can make their point which is not necessarily what you expect a manager nope. to say but I... Danny you mentioned uh, the owner the potential that he might just decide to let the club die rather than sell it out of I mean almost spy but how much did he invest in the the club I mean how much did he actually invest in the club and would it not be a, a, a massive loss for him yeah, it would be. It would be a huge loss. And um, there is no argument to do it other than um, spite. And the hope is that this protesting will lead to some sort of mediation, which the EFL has been prepared to do previously, and I'm sure will be able prepared to do again, try and get people around a table and try and get the owner to understand that it's in everyone's best interest. This is not a salvageable situation. It's it's not in anyone's interest for this to carry on. Um but it's hard. And in the meantime, to do that, you have to kick up as much of a fuss as possible. That campaign group has been around. I think I first interviewed them about five months ago, six months ago, maybe even longer. And you know, Reading fans were protesting before that uh, and still nothing's happened. That's the problem. This has been going on and on and on. And all the while, Reading just get worse and worse on the pitch. As you say, not helped by these semi-regular points deductions. Well, they're, they're already in the relegation zone, three points from safety. You'd imagine a points deduction potentially from, from this as well, essentially four, four foot in a game. Right. It shows you that obviously the strength of feeling is about far more than points and, and divisions here. Caterers have, have, have left. They're eating microwave meals, the players. The staff are wearing overcoats inside because the heating's turned off. Etc. Yeah, mm. yeah, c completely desperate situation. Yeah, there's a piece on the Athletic outlining all the uh, miserable details of it this week. Mm. And it's worth it's worth bearing in mind just quickly that this is an extreme example, but but it's across the EFL in particular. There's a lot of clubs who've had very very negligent ownership 
which have really, really, I mean, these are, again, this is, think these clubs are community institutions. It's not just the fans who it does belong to, but there's so many people who are involved in terms of their pay slips and their month-to-month living that to have that, that, that security that, that just this style of reckless absentee pretty much ownership inflicts upon them. It's, it really is really, really bad. There's no other way of... Of putting it, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't have been allowed to get to get to this point, but it has been. And I think football needs to needs to look at itself a little bit as well in terms of just how how can this be allowed to happen? Whereby somebody owns a club Ryan. and just does not care. Does I not ha- care. I have total confidence. Football's going to take a long look at itself and immediately take measures <laughs> to make sure this doesn't happen anymore. Now that it's been brought to their attention, let's let's lighten the mood, Tim, mm. by talking about what you got up to on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Off you go. Went to Darmstadt to watch the relaunch of Jaden Sancho's career. Uh, his first football for almost five months. Yeah, you think he made three fairly brief substitute appearances for United in August before his social media post and all the fallout from that. So yeah, tra- travelled across to to freezing Darmstadt just south of Frankfurt. Uh, Darmstadt, worst team in the Bundesliga, home to Dortmund, who um, were just as bad in what was an awful game. And we weren't expecting to see too much of Sancho, considering his lack of football, maybe a little five-minute cameo at the end. But yeah, in the 55th minute, on he came. And he did pretty well, actually. And um, Set up Marco Royce for the second goal? Yeah, he was rusty, obviously. But yeah, he, he, he did set up his, his good pal... Uh, Royce for the second and looked you know pacey direct positive uh, got an assist making things happen you know big grin on the face <laughs> yeah but it just it's you're just watching him thinking what, why is he not why is he not done this at United for, right. the, for the past year I know there some, are, there's lots behind that and it's yeah. not just him but it adds another la- layer of you know absurdity to right. why it hasn't worked out for him at United when some, some people would say physically there are different demands in the Premier League and that's why he, he struggles no of course but you know a cameo off off the bench uh, he's so good with the ball at his feet he's so yeah. positive so direct so patient he, he can do something for United right it's, and it's, a United team which we've just seen without People who can make things happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I know it's not it's not just one person's fault and not just another, but mm. the fact that it's come to this. But anyway, yeah, good for him. He was he looked different. He right. looked happy. He was waving to the home fans when he was warming up. Uh, he was posing for selfies at full time. And he's he's. I mean, he didn't speak to the lowly written media, but he did speak to the host broadcaster briefly after the match and said, you know, he said how happy he is on a number of occasions, and he said he's home. And it just looks a much better fit for him. So hopefully, because, you know, there's hmm. a wonderful player here. Yeah. And you can imagine the next four or five months are going to be very good for him. You, it was a, a 3-0 win for for Dortmund. Dortmund. Yeah. The first goal uh, created, really, by another exciting young Englishman, uh, Jamie Bino-Gittens, who surged up the right flank, beat a couple of men, and then put the ball in for uh, Julian Brandt. Yeah, uh, first time I've seen uh, Bayern Gittins in the flesh. Looking forward to watching him. And that was the only, yeah, the, he produced the only moment of quality in the first half to, right. uh, to help him break the deadlock. And in similar form to, to Sancho, he, he plays on the right of the front three. And again, very pacey, very direct. And, and right. got a lot of promise. The two looked like they're chums as well. They were hanging out after the game. Oh, nice. Okay, because one replaced the other. And then the third goal, Daniel's got his finger in the air. I'm sure. Is it to talk about Mokoku, who scored the third goal and looked absolutely sensational? Uh, no, it was to talk about uh, Bino Gittins, All right. actually. Yep. Uh, who, yeah, I, I interviewed him at the end of last year and he talked about, I mean, he he had a heck of a 
time in Germany. He moved basically when he was 17, 18, maybe even 16. Uh, and then COVID hit and he had basically 18 months of, of dealing with that. And then he got injured for four months. And then he got very infrequent minutes. He, In the meantime, he learned German fluently. There's an amazing, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's an amazing interview when he first went to Dortmund and he was, someone had obviously grabbed him after a game and said, Sky Sports interview. And he was like, Sky Sports? I know Sky Sports. This is fine. Went to do the interview and it was clearly Sky Sports Germany. And the first question was in German and he just sort of stared down the camera and just burst out laughing as if to say, I've got no idea what you just asked me. Um, and he's, yeah, he's he's really shy, but he, he looks to be Doing incredibly well there. I, we we underestimate so much how hard it is. He moved abroad at sixteen, yet knowing none of the language, and remarkable to settle down. We talked about Sancho settling down. He was Sancho's mate, so the hope is that you know he's got his mate back as well, and they look after each other, and can only be good things for the, both of them and Dortmund. Excellent. We'll hear more about the Schwartz Gelben in Tuesday's Totally Football Show European Edition when. Rafa will be in with James Horncastle, another big weekend in Serie A. France is back. Julian Laurent will be telling us uh, what's happened there. And Alvaro too. Tim. I was just going to say, this was my first ever Bundesliga game. Yeah. And within two minutes of walking in the stadium, I walked past Lothar Mateus. No way. I was way. like, does this, ha- does this, this happen game. every game? Yeah. But yeah. With the welcome map. Very nice. What will they be saying about Severe in the European edition of the Totally Football Show on Tuesday? Colin. Not overly complimentary things I right. would imagine they've um, I pointed out they, on Friday night they lost to Alaves uh, they've only won three games uh, across La Liga and European competition this year they somehow aren't in the relegation zone they're still one place above that but that, that might change in the next couple of weeks they're just really in bad form Kike Sanchez Flores is the is their third uh, mm. manager of the season? As um, many managers as wins. Yep, as many managers as wins. That's right. And this is a this is a Sevilla who are a very old squad. You got Jesus Navas, uh, thirty eight. Sergio Ramos, thirty seven. Mm. Rakitic is thirty five, and they're still key players. They're Are trying. They? To, yeah, they're trying to bring a couple of youngsters in this month, including Hannibal um, from Manchester United, and and a couple of others. I'm not really sure that, that that's. I really wonder how he'll be making the journey down. You know through. No, but anyway, um, are they more likely to have another manager or another win this season, do you think? Um, win, well, probably. I, I would you'd say prob- prob- you'd like to think a win. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot, I, I did notice when I put that up that there are a lot of, a lot of Leeds United fans really don't um, rate Victor Orta very mm. highly, who's the sporting director to be after being at Leeds for, I think, six seasons. Um, now, to be fair, he did inherit a really quite quite dreadful situation from um, Monchi the yeah. supposed transfer guru mm. anyway yeah. more of that kind of thing in Tuesday's show also to look forward to this week well of course there's the Asian Cup underway and AFCON 2 and there's FA Cup third round replays woohoo we're almost kind of out of time here but Tim I know there's one that you're going to be particularly keenly following uh, yeah Wolves v Brentford third round replay has suddenly become uh, Wolves' biggest game of the season uh, some fans legitimately saying, and I, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that, because uh, the prize for the winner is a trip to, uh, I can't really say their name, but uh, a team that plays in blue and white stripes. Um, that the Baggies. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, but how long is it since you've had a Wolves-West Brom game? We, we had one, we had two in the pandemic, which as we all know, those games didn't count at all. Right. Um, so the last time uh, uh, they, we played in front of fans was uh, 12 years ago. And it was a memorable game 
they won 5-1 somehow. And Mick McCarthy got the sack the next day. So it's been a long time coming. Been a long time. And to, to earn that game, you have to beat Brentford at Molyneux. That's on Tuesday. Yeah, they're in a terrible run of form as well. So, Brentford. Yeah, 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 but they got Ivan Tony back, so. But not for this one. Oh, um, right. I, well, I imagine because he wasn't eligible to play in the first game. Oh, of course, no, so, he wasn't. No, yeah. I mean that, that's totally right. That's totally right. Uh, Eastleigh play Newport for the right to host Man United. Uh, Daniel, was there a third round replay that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, probably that one. Yeah, I don't think. I think we, I speak for myself, Nottingham Forest, and everyone present that we probably do without Blackpool Forest. Uh, you know the club is looking forward to the replay when the manager says we should scrap replays before the replays even happen. <laughs> um, but no, um, they're, Forest are in a very fortunate position that Brentford have also got a replay because they play each other at the weekend and only a point separating them. It's a, a fairly big game if we've been talking about FFP and such like. Uh, Forest probably needs as many points as they can get maybe and Brentford away at the weekend is a big one. Mm. Uh, I know I joke about regularly about Dr. Forrest, but it's come as no surprise to me that even Tony will be enjoying Forrest in his first game back. Yeah, well, we shall see. We shall see. All right, well, uh, Tuesday, the European show. Thursday, we'll have our reactions to any midweek stories and looking ahead to the other half of this round of matches from the Premier League. Uh, no doubt other stories too. Uh, for now, it's many, many thanks to Daniel Story to Tim Spears, to Colin Miller, to Liam and producer Charlie in the booth, and you listener as well. Thank you so much. Hope you have a great week. And we'll catch up with you soon on The Totally Football Show. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.